You guys ready to uh, get into the word this morning? Hallelujah, hallelujah. Okay, we have been in a series all summer long called The Deadlies. And uh, it's an investigation into the so-called seven deadly sins. The seven deadly sins. These are the sins that like everything you can think of and everything that mankind has come up with, because we're not really that creative, but everything we've come up with to do wrong, like over the past however thousands of years, the, the church leaders like about 1,500 years ago came up with this list, that everything pretty much falls into this list of seven deadly sins. Pride, anger, gluttony, greed, lust, envy, and Sloth. I always have to do this with sloth because I watched a special when I was studying about sloth on the three-toed sloth, and so now it makes me think of sloths. <laughs> anyway, that's in a few weeks from now. Um, but but we're, we're taking the time to, to study how these sins kind of hide beneath the surface of our life and sneak into our lives. And we're doing it for a couple of reasons. Number one, because sin is destructive. How many of you know that? Sin is destructive, and it is. It will derail your relationships. And at Generations Church, we're all about relationships. If you, if you come here for very long, you hear us talk about relationships because we believe that it is through relationships that you will come to know God better and make his name famous in the earth to all the other people around you. So relationships are important. Turns out sin will dis, is destructive to those relationships and with your relationship with God, your relationship with other people, and it is a lie that leads to death. That's the clever little hidden thing in the logo there, dead lie. It is a lie that leads to death. And becoming a master at spotting these seven kind of sharks in the water um, is essential for us to find freedom. Freedom from the temptations, the traps, the mistakes, and the habits. The temptations, the traps, mistakes, and the habits that plague every single one of us every single day. Would you like freedom from those things? Yeah, yeah. Most of us want freedom from the, the mistakes, the temptations, the traps, the habits that we seem to fall into all the time. So understanding these sins is going to help us do that. I don't know who this is, is but it's mine now. We just took it to the next level. Um, Who's ever that was. So that's why we're studying this. It's the second reason we're studying this, and this is very important. This is very important. We go through this process of honest introspection because God, I believe, it's a crazy thought, but I believe God wants us to be more loving. I think God wants us to be more loving, don't you? God is love. We're image bearers of God. He wants us to be more loving. So the thing is, we cannot, it is just, just about impossible to be made aware of our own hidden sins without becoming more humble toward each other. Don't you find that? Don't you find after spending a session in here and learning all about all the things you didn't even know was wrong with you, and then you can't help but just show more humility to everybody around you? Yeah. We become more aware also of our desperate need for His grace, God's grace every day. We're desperate for His grace because none of us are going to ever get to complete perfection, right? That's just, we're not going to get there. So we need his grace every single day. Because here's the thing, if we just focus on stamping out sin and we have not love, we're basically Pharisees, right? So God is love. Our goal here, our ultimate goal is to be people of love, to be people of humility, to be people who can have real relationships with each other. 
who can be able to go up to each other and go, man, I'm struggling with this, and I'm going to be honest with you, because now I can trust you that you're humble enough to be able to hear that and not freak out, right? You're going to pray with me, walk with me as we grow in the Lord. So that's what we want. That's what we want. We are down to the final three of these bad boys. It feels, I was talking to somebody before the service, it feels like we've been talking about this for like 17 weeks. (laughs) And we're down to the final three, right? This morning, we are on deadly sin number five. That's right. It's the one you stood in line all night long for tickets to. Lust. Lust. Yeah. Now, little public service disclaimer. I'm just trying to look around here. Um, Parents, moms and dads, we're going to be talking about a little bit of mature subject matter today. I just want to give you that heads up. Um, Be a great week for you to check out our incredible Kids World ministry. They're they're wonderful. It's powerful. It's going to be decidedly rated G. This is going to be a little more PG-13, TVMA, that kind of thing. So I'm just letting you know, you're the mom and dad. I'm going to leave that up to you. You're the one has to answer all the questions in the back seat on the way home. So you have been warned. Okay. Now, uh, also, if you're interested in exploring this further, we're, today we'll be talking about the sin of lust. But if you're interested in exploring uh, this subject matter further, we did a really good series last summer, a short series called Shining the Light on Sex, dealing with other aspects of, of sexuality, marriage, singleness, our changing bodies, whatever. No, that was high school health class. But, right, but we, we talked a lot about this kind of stuff. So I encourage you, get, check out the podcast, go back and look at, listen to that series because we, we probably won't uh, try not to repeat ourselves too much in here. So now, y'all pray for me today because this is one of those types of messages that makes a preacher nervous, right? Especially when your mom is in the room. <laughs> Welcome, mom. Um, yeah, that's awesome. Just, she's going to do this a lot. I don't know about you, but when I was a teenager, when I was a teenager, um, uh, this was a tough subject. Did you guys ever have this experience? You'd be in like youth group and the youth group leader would talk about lust and sex and, you know, all this stuff and how terrible it is. And like, by the end of class, you're like more turned on than you ever were before. (laughs) because they kept talking about it. You know, when you're, when, you're, when you're that age, you know, your hormones are already going haywire and then the teacher starts talking about how much you're not supposed to think about sex. And, you know, and by the end, you're just like, oh my God. Um, it's kind of a catch-22. We'll try not to cause anybody too much unnecessary frustration today. Um, all right. <laughs> so, uh, on a serious note, I want to add this one thing too. Um, anytime we're, we're talking about issues dealing with a, a sexual nature, what the enemy would love to do, you have an enemy, what he would love to do this morning to some of us here is heap piles and piles of shame on you. Okay, I'm aware of this. I'm aware of his tactics. This is what he likes to do. And I know talking about this subject sometimes can dig up lots of hurt, can dig up lots of pain, lots of memories of abuse or memories of mistakes, things like that. I understand that. And I want you to know that's not what Jesus is here to do today. He's not here to pile shame on anybody. 
He's not here to, to we're not here to blame. We're not here to judge. We're not here to do that. We're here to, to what Jesus wants to do today is come and heal the brokenhearted. That's what he said he's in, in coming into the earth to do. Heal the brokenhearted. Set the captive free. He wants to make you soar like an eagle again, all right? That is what Jesus is here to do today. Because here's the thing, none of us are innocent, right? Except for one, Jesus Christ. None of us are innocent. And so you have come to generations this morning. I want you to understand, you're at generations, it's gonna be okay, right? This, this is a, I, I believe this is a perfect place for imperfect people. So it's gonna be okay. All right, let's get into this. Here we go. Um, let's talk, first let's, let's say what is lust? What is lust? Now the dictionary has a pretty specific de- definition it says that lust is an intense, excessive, or depraved craving for sexual pleasure. Now, lust can be for other things, but typically it's usually about sex. It's usually about sex. I've, you know, you've heard like, a, you know, he has a lust for life or something like that. That's not really the same thing. Even like a lust for power. Some people have a lust for power. I would actually contend that that falls more into the greed category if you really study it out, because greed is more about accumulating, and lust has this, this tendency to be, about, to be about using and throwing away, using and throwing away. And so lust very typically, usually, has to do with sex or sexuality. Lust is an extremely destructive force because it's one of the hardest sins to root out. And the reason why it is, is because lust piggybacks on like our natural wiring, our natural biology. We've got natural impulses um, that we're all hardwired with. And believe it or not, God created you with a sex drive. He did. That's, that's news to some people, but it's true, <laughs> right? He did not, however, create you to be a slave to lust. That's important for us to realize. We'll talk about more about that in a few minutes. It's also important to, to, talk, to point out what lust is not. And that is, lust is not the same as temptation. Lust is not temptation. It's not a sin to be tempted. Okay? All of us, every single one of us have temptations, you know, that knock on the door of our brain every single day. Every single day. Jesus was even tempted, it says. So temptation is not lust. Temptation is natural, means you're human. Lust is demonic. We want to make sure we keep that distinction. Temptation is natural. Lust is demonic. Now, let's face it, lust has been around for thousands of years. Since the moment Eve, you know, was checking out the apple, she decided to throw everything away and take a bite. Lust has been around. And yet, yeah, we, we kind of have to admit Today in the modern age, lust seems to be more ubiquitous than ever in our culture. Every single second, $3,000 every second is spent in this country on porn. Every second, 28,000 internet users are viewing porn on average. 28,000 a second. Every 39 minutes... In the space of time that our service has been going on, every 39 minutes, another porn movie is created in America, is filmed. The porn industry generated $13 billion last year in the U.S. alone. Worldwide, that number is $96 billion, almost $100 billion industry. That, that's more than the revenues of Microsoft, Google, Amazon, eBay, Apple, Yahoo, and Netflix combined. 
It's one of the world's most successful industries on earth. You think this planet isn't suffering from a disease? Yeah. The internet, the internet's one of, you know, mankind's greatest achievements of the last 50 years. It's, it's, it's wonderful, but it's also brought us for the first time the most unspeakable acts of sexual violence right into our homes, right? A click away from my seven-year-old in my own home. A click away. Today, they say 20 to 25% of total uh, search engine requests are pornographic. It's estimated that between 50 and 80% of men in the church today, this is church, have viewed porn on their computer, either intentionally or accidentally. The average age, this is the saddest part, the average age today for the first exposure to porn is 11 years old. It's the average age for the first exposure. Now, we're also waking up to some, some other facts that, that, that lust is not just a man's issue, right? This is kind of a myth we want to dispel right now. This isn't just a man's issue. 28% of those with, uh, who identify as having a sexual addiction are women. You know, we used to say back in that youth group that I was in, you know, hey, guys, stop looking out, you know, stop, stop lusting after those sweet, cherubic, wonderful, angelic girls who never have bad thoughts or never, you know, have any kind of lust in their heart, right? And the girls in the audience were thinking, is there something wrong with me? It's not a guy issue. It's a human being issue. And more importantly, it's an issue of the heart. It's a heart issue. There's a devil out there who wants to destroy us. He wants to destroy you, and he will use lust to do it. He's not just after your brain. He's not just after your body. He is after your heart. Proverbs 11 says, The righteousness of the upright delivers them, but the unfaithful are trapped by evil desires. Sin is deadly. It's deadly. And it'll trap you. In the book of Job, he says this about lust. He said, it is a fire that burns all the way to hell. It would wipe out everything I own. I, I saw an estimate the other day that two out of three, uh, that, that the internet is a factor in two out of every three divorces. The internet. It's wiping out marriages. But let's look at what God has to say about how we should live. In First Thessalonians he says, God's will is for you to be holy, so stay away from all sexual sin. Then each of you will control his own body and live in holiness and honor, not in lustful passion like the pagans who do not know God in his ways. He goes on to say in verse 6, never harm or cheat a Christian brother in this matter by violating his wife, for the Lord avenges all such sins as we have solemnly warned you before, and God has called us to live holy lives, not impure lives. So, let's talk a little bit about what's behind this sin of lust. How do we spot it beneath the surface? Lust, number one, is about cravings. Lust is about cravings. Um, it, usually, when someone falls to this temptation, it's usually not some sudden temptation that came out of left field that they, you know, had no idea was coming that got them in trouble. Usually it's not out of left field. Very often when our sexual cravings get the better of us is when there was some pattern of bad behavior, poor decisions that we ignored, we ignored, we ignored until finally the cravings won out. Very typically, right? 
That's just a common, common sad story we, keep, we hear over and over. And lust-oriented cravings are unlike any other kind of craving. They really are. Because there's something about lust that makes all the reason in the world just disappear. Right? That little voice inside your head that's telling you, don't do this, this is wrong, don't do this. It might as well be speaking Russian. Right? It's, it, it just has the, the voice of logic doesn't seem to work. And, and, but what lust does to a man or a woman, what it does is demand the final word. Lust demands the final word in a situation. Lust demands that our cravings take the throne. Nothing else matters. Now, just because we have cravings doesn't mean we're meant to fulfill them, right? All of us have cravings that we would do well to ignore, right? I mean, anybody agree with me? Okay, let's make sure. Um, I often crave a platter of chicken fried steaks. Just pile them high. I, I, you know, it seems like a natural, wonderful craving. You may be driving along the freeway and crave punching somebody in the face that cuts you off, you know? Oh, it would feel so good. It feels like I need to do that. Well, that in no way means the universe is telling us that we should eat fried steaks and punch people in the face, right? But the world would tell you, hey, if you've got a craving for someone, it's just, it's healthy to get at that, Right? If you got that craving, really. Because there are destructive cravings that we all feel, but it never means that we're supposed to give in to them. Cravings don't validate behavior. Your cravings don't validate behavior. However natural the craving may feel, it may feel like a really natural craving. Your cravings mean exactly diddly squat. How you respond to that craving means everything in the world. Okay? Amen. I, this is why I tell people who, uh, who struggle, for instance, with same-sex attraction. This is a big topic right now. People who struggle with that. You know what? God loves you. He loves you. But the thing is, we were all born into a sin nature. Am I right? So someone else wasn't like born more messed up than me. We're all born with this sin nature. It doesn't matter. So really, really, it doesn't matter if you were born that way or not. It's a big argument with some people, but really the argument is moot. It doesn't matter if you were born that way. Your cravings don't have to dictate your behavior, however natural those cravings may feel, right? See, Jesus is very specific about what gets you into heaven. It's putting your trust in him and letting him grow you and mature you, right? Putting your trust in him, walking with him. It's not a sin to be gay. It's not a sin to be gay. You can put your trust in Christ, do great things for the kingdom, and I can call you brother in Christ, right? But we believe, we believe all people, regardless of orientation or whatever, are equally and infinitely loved by God. Do you believe everyone is loved by God? We believe that. Everyone is loved by God. But see, the Bible is really clear, though, that one is not to engage in homosexual behavior or that lifestyle. And so the church... Don't get all hung up on, wow, are they born that way or are they not born that way? That doesn't matter. I, I personally believe some people probably are born with an inclination for, one, you know, for, for something to be attracted towards something, uh, different types of attraction. But it's not really a worthwhile argument for us to fixate on because it doesn't change the way God calls us to live, right? See, I, I'm a heterosexual male. Newsflash, in case you were wondering. <laughs> 
heterosexual male. That means, biologically speaking, I may have a proclivity to go out and sleep with lots and lots of women and spread my genes all over this world, right? I mean, that's just the natural biology. I don't do that, right? Because as an image bearer of God, as an image bearer of God, I live under a different code. I'm a new creation. I'm bought with a price. I'm not my own anymore, right? Plus, I really love my wife, right? And I don't want anybody else, baby, I promise. So natural inclinations, natural proclivities, natural cravings, that doesn't dictate what we do. That doesn't dictate. The, The point with human sexuality is all of us, whether we're gay, straight, or somewhere in between, we come into this world partially broken in that area, every single one of us. We come into the world broken because we have this sin nature. We're broken and we all need God's restoration. We all need God's healing. Now, I know this is a deep subject there, so we'll, we'll talk, maybe we, if we have a chance, we'll talk some more about that in our, our deeper small group, if we have a chance next week. Um, it's a sensitive subject, but I wanna move on. What else, what else is behind this sin of lust? Uh, very often there's something deeper that's behind the craving. It turns out the craving is rarely all about sex. Lust is also about meeting needs. Lust is about meeting needs. Very often it's, it's something deeper that we need to address. Very often we need to say, hey, there's something within me that's missing or wounded or not being fed or needs some attention in this area. It's often a cry of our heart. But what lust does, lust does something very sneaky. It gets us to meet legitimate desires in illegitimate ways. That's what lust wants us to do. So we might have this desire, legitimate desire for acceptance or love. And, and so, you know, you, you give yourself away every time you're in a relationship. Because you have this legitimate desire for acceptance and love and inside you're saying, please accept me, look past my outer beauty, love the real me on the inside. But in case that's not enough, kiss me, hold me, do whatever you want. But hopefully this time I'll feel my worth by how much you're drawn to me. We all have this legitimate cry in our heart for acceptance, to be known, to be loved but giving ourselves away outside of marriage is not the legitimate way of fulfilling that need, right? Or maybe you have a legitimate need for comfort, for peace. And the way you meet that need is is looking at porn on the internet to get that comfort, that peace. What happens is you, you sometimes feel this false sense of comfort. It feels like the safe environment there, the virtual world, right? But it's false. It's not real. At worst, it's destroying you in ways you can't even see. It's an illegitimate way of meeting a legitimate need. Maybe you're somebody who has a a desperate need for control. We got any control freaks in the house, right? You have this desperate need for control and your life is out of control. That makes you like most people, right? Most of the things in life are out of our control, but you need that control. It feels crazy, it's gone haywire. And giving into lust gives you a measure of feeling back in charge. Using your body as a way for you to take back a little bit of control of things. The problem is, 
when you've surrendered your life to Christ, your body is not your own. You're not in charge. It's a temple. Your body is a temple. It's not meant to be used as an amusement park, right? It belongs to God. And realize it or not, it belongs to somebody you may not even have met yet in your future spouse. It's not our own. Thirdly, lust, it's a willingness to meet that need at somebody else's expense. In other words, it's about pleasure at any cost. Pleasure at any cost. Lust says, lust says my needs take priority. Even if that means hurting or abusing or, or violating other people, it's a total disregard for other people, right? It's the antithesis of love. It's the opposite of love. Now, Hollywood doesn't help our cause, does it? Right? It's just about every show, every movie, right? Every single thing we watch on the screen, they all communicate this picture that is so foreign to God's way, so foreign to his kingdom, it's so anti-kingdom that it's become the new normal. And in many ways, we can even just get in the habit of watching it. It just seems normal, right? The way people live on the screen, movies show us people who just sleep with one person after the other. Maybe they fall in love, maybe they don't, but they just sleep with one person after the other, and they suffer none of the emotional or spiritual consequences that happens to a real person. Everything on the screen is wonderful and amazing and consequence-free, and that is a dead lie consequence free is a dead lie now let's talk about for a minute <clears throat> about this uh, crazy thing inside us called sexuality remember we said in the beginning God created your sexuality he gave you sexuality that seems like a really strange thing to say after you've been talking about lust all this time but he actually gave you your sexuality he made you human right? Neither animal nor angel. He made you human. And sexual pleasure is a legitimate desire at the right time, which is within marriage, right? It's a legitimate desire at the right time. And it's a God-designed pleasure. God put this sex drive in every single one of us, and it's a wonderful thing. Now, if you're single and, and abstinent, you might be thinking, dude, it is so not a wonderful thing, right? I want to turn this thing off. It's driving me crazy. I know it's, it can be, I know it can be confusing because, you know, we're not born with like this little switch hidden under plexiglass in the back of our head that we just, you know, break glass on your wedding night and suddenly, dude, oh, you're hot, you know. <laughs> Unfortunately, it doesn't work that way. But the truth is your sexuality is a part of what makes you you. It's a part of what makes you priceless and unique, a unique son and daughter of God, your sexuality. It's a big part of what makes you notice the opposite sex, right? When it's what make you, makes you seek out a, a soulmate and eventually fall in love and want to spend the rest of your life with that person. Jesus even tells us in Matthew 19, fascinating passage, check it out when you have time, that not everyone is even born from marriage, right? It talks about people who would rather live their lives celibately. He talks about people who are, are uh, it, it, it uses the phrase eunuchs, in eunuchs who were born that way. Who would, who would live their lives celibately for the sake of the kingdom to better serve God. They were not made for marriage. And he says that their sexuality is a gift too. So Jesus says, a fascinating 
passage. So it would be a mistake, I think, to take this integral part of what makes you you, this thing that makes me me and you you, and, and this gift from God and call it evil just because some folks don't know how to control it, just because some folks give in to lust, right? So we don't want to call that evil our sexuality. But attraction to one another is something God put in you. And it, it's something to be appreciated, in full control of, and we're to take part, take that attraction for someone and, and allow it. We allow that to become part of what we respect about them, what we admire about them. Song of Solomon, which is, is a huge, long love poem, just beautiful. It's got a lot of erotic poetry in there too. But in chapter four, he says this, you have captured my heart, my treasure, my bride. You hold it hostage with one glance of your eyes, with a single jewel of your necklace. Your love delights me, my treasure, my bride. Your love is better than wine, your perfume more fragrant than spices. That's pretty good. Put that in your next Valentine card. <laughs> in verse 11, he says, your lips are as sweet as nectar, my bride, honey and milk are under your tongue. Your clothes are scented like the cedars of Lebanon. You are a garden locked up, my bride. You are a spring enclosed, a sealed fountain. What is he saying to this woman? He's praising her for her chasteness, right? He shouts to the world about how much he loves her and how beautiful she is. And, and the effect that this beauty has on him is not lust and craving, no matter the consequences, but to praise her for recognizing her own value, for not giving away that love cheaply before their wedding night. He's praising her for that. I, I once read somewhere that sexual passion can make a wonderful servant, but a terrible master. And what lust does is it makes itself your master. It promises something that can never deliver. In Ephesians, Paul says, with the Lord's authority, I say this, live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Verse 18, they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality. In other words, they've allowed sensuality to become their master. They've allowed it to be their master. So as to indulge in every kind of impurity with, get this, a continual lust for more. More. Just like gluttony, we talked about a couple weeks ago, glut, uh, lust always says more. It's never satisfied. Lust says, go ahead, fantasize a little bit. Fantasize a little bit more. Check out that girl or that guy. Undress him with your mind. What's the harm in it? Go ahead. And before you know it, lust has stolen your respect for that person. It's stolen your respect for yourself. And then how do you get that... How do you get that back? What do you do with that hole you've got inside you? You give in to more lust, right? The cost of giving in is that it holds you in even greater and greater bondage. People, this is why, this is why porn always makes men angry because it promises what it cannot deliver. A man who gets sucked into this vortex, what happens? The porn always gets darker. It always gets edgier. 
It always progresses. It gets more twisted, more abusive. Why? Because someone hooked on this, on porn, is destined to be an angry individual. Because it offers something it cannot deliver. It's got to leave you angry. What's really sad about lust is what it does to your relationships with real people, the people actually in your life, right? Because eventually it leaves you unable to relate in any kind of healthy way to people who come into your life. So we looked at these three areas that are kind of underneath underneath the surface of lust here. So after looking at the, the roots of this sin, I think, I think maybe we can come up with an even better definition than we did the first time. How about this? Lust, an unrestrained sexual craving to satisfy our personal needs with no regards to the consequences. With no regard to the consequences. Unrestrained sexual craving to satisfy your personal needs with no regard to the consequences. So, I bummed us out a whole lot this morning. It's a sickness. Let's talk about the cure. We need a cure. How do we root it? How do we root this out? And find real freedom. Here's the path to freedom. Number one, can someone please tell me what the number one is always the path to freedom? I heard it. Confess and repent. Confess and repent. Your path to freedom always begins with confession and repentance. It always does. We have to, number one, return to Jesus and ask him for forgiveness. We have to confess our sins and lay them at the cross. We have to do that. That is how we engage the redemptive power of Jesus. Because you need him, trust me. You need him on this job. It is God who gives us the ability to say no when this thing has a grip in your life. Spiritual problems require a spiritual solution. And self-help will not give you the ability to say no. Only the grace of God working in your heart. Confession and repentance. The second thing that we can do, here's our part. Kill your triggers. Let's talk about this. Kill your triggers. We all have triggers. We all have weaknesses that we, that we have to get a handle on. And, and your triggers might be a little bit different than someone else's right beside you. So you have to know yours. You have to take control and be a master of your surroundings. Don't set yourself up for failure by watching those same kind of movies, by going to those kind of places, surfing those websites. Don't be an idiot and say, whoops, I, I, don't, I don't understand. I was surfing the internet. It was three in the morning. I was alone in my room. I was really surprised when that, you know, slideshow popped up. I don't know what happened. I don't know, right? It's not my fault, right? I, I went clubbing at that place, you know, that sky bar downtown, and there were like hot girls there. I had no idea that was going to happen. Hot people go there. It's not my fault, right? You got to recognize your triggers, right? Everybody seen Superman? He had his kryptonite. We all have our kryptonite, right? Every single one of us. So here's a few helpful questions to ask. The questions are when, where, and what? When are you most tempted? When are you most tempted? Take an honest look and look at your life. You know, I'm not asking you to yell it out. Think about it. When are you most tempted? Is it when you're bored? I mean, is that kind of when, when it gets you? You're bored? Is it when you're stressed? 
the end of that stressful day? Is it when you're tired, you're fatigued? Is it when you're frustrated? Is it late at night? Is it on the weekends? When? Know this. Where are you most tempted? Is it when you're home alone? Is that, is that when it gets you? Is it when you know, you're at the mall or in your car or at work in the office or with a, you know, particular friends or particular friend of yours or something like that? And then third, what is, what is your weakness? What is it? This, you know, this might vary from people to people. What is your kryptonite? Is it the internet? Is it certain songs? Is it alcohol? Is it Netflix? Is it certain books? What is it that drives you there? Know your weakness. Don't be an idiot. You need to identify the when, the where, and the what that tempts you. All of us really have this predictable pattern of behavior, this predictable pattern of temptation, right? I mean, if we were honest, if you think back to your failings, it's probably part of a predictable pattern. We're creatures of habit. And so most of us fall into the same trap over and over again. And we need to identify the pattern so we can interrupt the pattern, right? That's what the experts tell you to do. Identify the pattern, interrupt the pattern. Sometimes you want desperately to conquer your temptation, but you're setting yourself up for failure every single day because you're making it too easy for yourself to fail, right? You kind of tell yourself, I'm going to do this. Maybe this time I'll be strong. You know you're not going to, right? Try, try this. Plan your day around making it harder to fail, right? Set yourself up for success, not for failure. You cannot just pray, God, take the desire away. He's not going to do it. He's just not going to do that. You got to learn wisdom. So do whatever it takes to present your body as a living sacrifice to God. Kill your triggers. Number three, number three on our path to freedom is practice love. Remember, lust is the antithesis of love. So you start walking in love, something happens. It, lust finds it a, a hard place to live. Right? Your heart will be a hard place to coexist with love. Practice love. Practice seeing others as God sees them with dignity, with respect, as fellow spiritual creatures who, like you, are going to live forever, right? It's real hard to lust after somebody you're thinking that about, right? This is God's son, God's daughter, who he loves, and he or she's going to live forever for him, right? First uh, Corinthians 9, uh, 6, 19, let's see. He says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you have received from God. You are not your own. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Honor God in the way you look at other people. Honor God. Honor God. Even on, you can even honor other people in the way that you dress in front of them. Right? See, we show love and respect for others by not throwing too much in their face, okay? If you know what I mean. It's called love. See, love isn't about, well, it's my right. That's not my problem, it's their problem. Yeah, it's their problem. But what does love say? Love asks a different question. It doesn't always just stop at, it's my right. It might be your right. Can you wear anything you want? Hey, you're free in Christ. Knock yourself out. But should you? Should you? 
in every area of life, the greatest question we can ask when it comes to our relationships with other people is this, what would love have me to do? What would love have me do? How does, how does love tell me to look at that person right now? What would love have me do? How does love compel me toward kindness and mercy for others? I mean, I can, I got the right. What would love have me do, right? You ever think God sits on his throne and says, man, I ought to be allowed to just wipe these people out. I mean, I'm God. I've got the right. I can do anything I want, right, guys? I, yeah. But love stops him. So love should stop us. It's important that we see people as God sees people. You know, when God looks at a person, he sees them in his own image, right? It says that he sees image bearers of, of himself. He sees them clothed in Christ he sees these people clothed in Christ. And what happens when we see somebody and we look at them in this lustful way, what we're doing is looking at them as an object. We're making them an object rather than this immortal child made in the image of God. We've lost the value that is placed on every single human being by God himself. But when we practice love, when we practice infinite love, and it takes practice sometimes, right? You have to practice. You have to work on it. It's not like an overnight thing. You practice infinite love. You start seeing your brothers and sisters as beautiful human beings, image bearers of God, regardless of how buff or tall or thin or short or whoever, you know, whatever they are. We see fellow creatures that God loves, creatures who are going to live forever, creatures that we can do life with free of shame because Christ has freed us from death and sin and shame. Amen? Amen. Father God, we thank you this morning for giving us your son, Jesus Christ, for conquering death, hell, and the grave, Lord, to save us from our sins. We thank you for your grace. We thank you that though we were fallen, we have been redeemed. Amen. We're restored in Christ Jesus. We thank you for new life. Thank you. We thank you for reset buttons, Father God. We thank you for second chances. We thank you for rebirths. We thank you, Christ, for the price that you paid with your body on the cross. That because of you, we can be healed and restored and set free in Jesus' name. Set free spiritually and emotionally and relationally, physically. We thank you, dear Lord. We thank you, God, who makes all things new and whose mercy is new every single morning. In Jesus' name, we thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm going to ask our prayer partners to come down this morning. And as they're coming, let me just bless you in this. May you today start walking in your freedom. Your freedom from lust, from addictions, from cravings. May you allow God to meet your most intimate needs. And may you know how much God loves you and values you so you can pour out that love on everybody you meet. Amen? Amen. You guys have been awesome. When, uh, if, if there's anyone here who has any needs at all, if you need someone to pray with you or, or to lead you in, the, lead you, uh, in, a, in a prayer to, to get to know Jesus better, or you need healing this morning, Whatever it is, I encourage you to come down forward and let these awesome people pray with you in faith. It's not the same when we pray. Amen. 
Amen. You guys have a wonderful week. Next week, Brother Terry Mize is going to be here. It'll be great. Y'all have a great week. We'll see you later. Bye-bye.